Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal, to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. I can be very dispassionate when I'm evaluating something, meaning like if there's a new opportunity that's coming towards me, I try to always lay out pros and cons. What skills do I bring to the table readily? What things do I need to be successful in this role that are a gap for me? When I say dispassionate, I mean like very scientific almost about evaluating something because sometimes I can get wound up in the emotion of evaluating something and it can cloud my judgment on it. So this is my way of being very fact-based. Just lay out the data to the extent that you have it so you can be as unemotional about evaluating the situation as you can be. Are you looking to step into the new year with an empowered and driven approach to your career transition? Hi, I'm Brooke Skinner Ricketts, and I'm thrilled to be your host for today's episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. Join us with Jennifer Manry, Principal of Corporate Systems at Vanguard, as she shares valuable insights that can supercharge your confidence and drive your career transitions. Uncover indispensable tools and strategies designed to infuse purpose and unwavering determination into your professional journey. Remember, with the right mindset and support, you have the strength to conquer fresh challenges and embrace the opportunities this new year brings your way. Visit GoBeyondBarriers.com, where you'll find show notes and links to the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with our special guest, Jennifer. Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today. I'm really excited to speak with you about your career journey and both professionally and personally, it sounds like we have we have a lot in common and that I'm I'm really excited to to connect with you about. If you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your story and maybe a couple of the more more uh, resonant lessons that that have stuck sure. with you along the way. Sure. So Jennifer Manry, I have I'm probably, I guess, in my 23rd year of being an IT professional. So I've had a um, long and very exciting career in IT over the past almost two decades, you know, two decades or more. I I guess I would start with my story a little bit um, from maybe what I did in college, because I think there was an important life lesson coming out of college for me that might um, be relevant to this conversation. And that was it. My background is actually, I was classically trained as a mechanical engineer. And from the time I was very little, being an engineer was like my biggest aspiration in life. I knew from a very young age that engineering was what I wanted to pursue. And so I did my time at Georgia Tech getting trained as a mechanical engineer and took a job in manufacturing to pursue that engineering career. The reason I bring it up is because it was probably the first of the biggest decisions I made as part of my journey in terms of where I would go from a career perspective. And and that was not long after uh, working in manufacturing, I was there for several years. I fell in love with IT and in a very unlikely place in a manufacturing environment where even at the time, I think if I reflect back to the late 90s, there was a lot of technology used to build cars. And I wasn't expecting to find a a love for a new career in the place where I was doing the thing that I thought I was going to be doing for my career, but I did. And I made a pivot towards information technology and pursuing a career in information technology. And that's where it all began for me. It was probably in my early 20s. And that's that's where this journey of 20 years of IT leadership started. I have probably done 
every uh, leadership role in every discipline within IT. So there's a lot of different domains within um, IT. And predominantly, most of it's been in financial services and in banking. So I've been, I did a, a number of years at Capital One, I worked for Bank of America, and then most recently joined Vanguard. So if I have to pick out one of the lessons, or maybe probably the, the biggest lesson that I've carried forward with me as part of my journey is sometimes unlikely opportunities show up to you when you are least expecting it. And sometimes you have to be willing to take a little bit of a leap of faith and turn what could be a seem like a very risky proposition or something that you you weren't planning for or didn't feel like you were ready totally prepared for and be willing to take a little bit of a gamble on yourself if you feel like you can commit the passion and hard work to ensure you're successful in it. So it's one of the things I think as we talk through this um, conversation, you'll hear probably me bring up several times is that I, I feel like sometimes when you have an opportunity you feel like it's risky, you have to be willing to put yourself out there and take the risk and just be confident enough in yourself that you will figure out a way to be successful in it. That's that's so powerful. And one of the things I think is really interesting about your story is you took that risk on yourself really early. Like for a lot of people, it takes time to build up those muscles. What do you think gave you the, the chutzpah the, to take that leap? Yeah. I would probably attribute this a little bit to the person who I'd say was my biggest inspiration for my life. And that was my mom. She had this philosophy when I was growing up that you should never put limits on yourself and don't let anyone, like don't put limits on yourself, but don't also let anyone else put limits on you. If you believe that you want to pursue, pursue something, or if you have a passion for something, you will figure out your way to be successful at it. And so she was very much an, a source of encouragement for both my sister and I in terms of like not limiting our thinking, never saying I can't, always thinking about if you don't know how to do it, figure out how you, how you can learn about it, right? So I think she pushed us gently like for our entire lives to be willing to take leaps like that. I mean, even before the career pivot, I, I left my home state of Virginia. I moved to Georgia sight unseen to go to college. And it was because she was like, you'll figure out how to be, you'll figure, you'll find your way, right? And so I just think that she raised us with a little bit of the mindset of jumping in the deep end of the pool could be exciting. It doesn't have to be scary, right? And so, and if you're willing to commit yourself to it, then you'll put the hard work into making yourself be successful at it. So I think it really comes from a lot of that. I would attribute it to her sort of inspiration for that. That's cool. That's cool. What was it that made you fall in love with IT? Well, <clears throat> I would say that there's, I always have loved building things and tinkering things. So I think that's why very early, I, even when I was nine or 10, I was like, I want to do engineering because I love taking things apart and putting them back together again. And I loved constantly tinkering with, some, with things to create something new. What made me fall in love with IT, I think a little bit, is that you can create things on a much faster turn than sometimes you can, like in a, if you're like in a mechanical engineering setting or like a civil engineering setting, some of those things take long times to create, right? And, and for good reason. But I was a little bit of an instant gratification person. And I love the idea that you could sit down and create a solution in a matter of minutes, days, weeks, a much shorter term, and that I could still satisfy this love for tinkering and engineering through a different medium. And, and so I think I just saw the power of automation and technology be able to create vehicles and thought, wow, there's probably endless possibilities for how you can apply technology to solve a lot of different problems or create new opportunities in the world. 
And something about that was very exciting and appealing to me. And this notion of being able to like be a little self-taught. The other piece of it is it's always changing. So it really fueled my passion about like this. You can constantly improve. You can constantly do something different. It's going to be evolving so quickly. It's going to force you to have to learn all the time. And that was something that I found was a passion of mine was like this constant learning, continuous improvement mindset. So it just ticked a lot of boxes for me. Cool. Very cool. And then it's what's one of the things that strikes me about, about the amazing things in your career, your amazing experiences is like manufacturing, automotive and finance, right? Like three incredibly male dominated industries. Would love to hear about your experience as a leading female executive and, and growing into that role, right? In these environments where you, you were not the majority. So I, I would say, yes, I, I've spent technology as well as manufacturing, both very male dominated industries. The thing, one of the most important things I learned very early on when I started my role at General Motors was I was not only the, the youngest by many years, I was happened to be the only woman salaried employee in the part of the manufacturing facility I worked in. And I had a lot to learn, right? Many of these people who were working in this industry had been working for almost as long as I've been alive at the time. They'd accumulated a lot of knowledge. And I had, to, I had to really figure out my way in this. And one of the first ways I did this was by seeking out sponsors and mentors, right? And this is a theme that's also stuck with me for a very long time. I had probably my very first, what I would consider male ally, that was before we really called this notion of male allies came about, who was a very tenured salaried employee there who took me under his wing and showed me the ropes and advocated for me and helped me learn everything about the, the um, manufacturing environment that I was working within. And I think that's really stuck with me in, in any of these environments is to find mentors, people who are willing to teach you and coach you. I think that applies whether you're in a male-dominated environment or not. But I think the willingness to ask for help and seek guidance from people who know better, know the subject matter or the, the, the discipline better, and the willingness to learn from them has been um, something that I've also carried through all of my roles. And I think that has really benefited me both in the manufacturing and the um, financial services industries is by, and in IT at large, right? Someone around something better, there's always people to learn from and they're generally very apt to teach you if you ask for help. And the willingness to surround yourself with a personal board of directors or personal advisors is what has gotten me through pretty much every step of my career. Yeah, I've I've had a similar experience at just about every amazing person we've had on this podcast shares that that similar thing. One of the things that we know from the data, and there's that wonderful book, Women Don't Ask, great. And that, and I'm sure you have a number of people who you mentor and sponsor. And I ran into this in, in my coaching with Beyond Barriers is, is that that like just the leap of asking can be really, really hard, right? I'd love to know just like your observations, your thoughts, or any any advice that you've had that you can share with our listeners just in terms of how to get that started. Because so many people, like they know they should be doing this, but they, they don't know how to start. So I'd love to hear you on that. Yeah. And it was hard for me to start too, because I think early in my career, I thought, well, if I ask for help, that's an admission that I don't, I don't know something. Right. And do do I really want to be vulnerable enough to admit that like, I'm not, I haven't completed mastery of all these skills that I should have, even though I knew in my logical mind, like there's no way I should have been able to acquire all the competencies and proficiencies at this point in my career, I think it just took like the first one for me to ask. Mm-hmm. And, and, and ironically, it was about confidence. I asked someone to 
help mentor me or help advise on how to become more confident because I'd gotten some coaching that it would be great if we saw your confidence on display more. Sometimes you retreat and you, you, we can tell you, we can tell you have an idea or a kernel of something you want to say, but you're like not showing up in that way. And so I asked, I found a person who was brilliant, just brilliantly confident and asked him, would you be willing to teach me? And his, his willingness to not only coach, but like encourage and sponsor coming out of that relationship made me realize like everyone has something they would love to, they, people love to teach other people. And, and you don't, it's in a moment of vulnerability that, and when you admit that you aren't proficient in something is actually helping someone share their gift, share their knowledge with, with you. So I actually just use that one person to teach myself that it's not bad to admit that you have something to work on because the reality is everyone knows you have something to work on, right? Because we're all working on things. So hiding it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And then just being, being willing to admit that you're working on something, it's a very powerful thing. And so I actually now feel like when I coach and mentor and sponsor that I'm paying it forward, all the things that my prior advisors have done to me. And a lot of times what I'm coaching women on is asking, just asking for help, like teaching women, like to be okay with admitting that vulnerability. And I would say as a leader, that's probably my, my, my willingness to admit that I'm not always hundred percent right. Or I don't know everything. It's actually, I feel like something that helps from an authenticity with my own team, because pretend again, pretending like you're perfect at everything and not don't have anything to work on is a little disingenuous and everyone knows it. Right. So I think I just think back to that very first time of asking for help. And that sort of was the gateway for me asking every role that I'm in for someone who's better at me than something to teach me how, how competent they are. That's great. Yeah. I think, I think we, a lot of these skills are, they're like yoga. It's, you don't math. It's like, you just practice, right? It's Correct. a life practice, right? And some people are very, very good, but they're just about everybody is still practicing these skills. In different it's amazing you said that because I was thinking coming into this, I'm like, when I talk about some of these things that I've learned over the course of my career, it's a practice. It's like a meditative practice or a yoga practice or practicing in your marathon. It's any, anything that you pick up and say, look, I want to be better at this. And you have to keep practicing at it. Even your willingness to ask for help is a practice, right? So everything you do is on a journey of continuous improvement. And so I guess I've just changed my mindset about how I approach asking for help and that I'm practicing. This is part of my practice of continuing to hone my craft, right? And it's a core part. Asking people to teach me things and being willing to learn is a core part of continuing to hone your craft and be and getting better at what you do. You've spent a lot of time in your career giving back in addition to doing well by doing good. <laughs> DEI has been a priority for you for a really long time. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your work and then how you've seen that landscape shift. DEI has been a, a really important part of the journey of paying it back, right? I think I became more invested in DEI probably in the like two, 2013, 2014 timeframe where really the catalyst for it was looking at the landscape of women in, in STEM roles, women in technology roles, and realizing that we were backsliding, that not as many women were coming through the pipeline from school age, middle school age, with exposure to an interest in STEM related fields, not just IT, but anything STEM related. And it really got me thinking like, I probably, I benefited from a lot of encouragement and a lot of advice from the time I was very little all the way until the time that I realized this was um, becoming um, an issue. 
that we should tackle and thought this is why I should get involved in this and, and work with the other brilliant women that I happened to be uh, working with at the time. It, it was at Capital One. Um, to really dive into how uh, we could start to make some systemic change in this. I got uh, involved with Women Who Code right about the same time because their mission was to further the advancement of women in technology-related fields and create a community of women that was focused on not only the, the what you would consider like soft skills of like being in technology, like all the competence, the competencies that you need to work on, but also the technical acumen and reskilling and upskilling women and helping them change, come in either into technology for a first time job or come back to technology. And I loved their mission uh, because I felt like this is a key component of the, if you think about the life cycle of uh, women in STEM they're always going to need a network and a community of people to upskill themselves and reskill themselves. And they benefit from this community of other women to learn from and network with. And it's been a long relationship between me and women who code. I, I worked on starting up their Central Virginia net, network. They're also their Charlotte network with a, a number of brilliant women in both of those locations who were also very committed to this mission. And then earlier this year, stepped into the board chair role there to take on a more official support of the great mission that they have. And so it is a very important part of my life. I also take have a DE&I leadership role here at Vanguard and am furthering our DE&I work across a number of different facets of the career pipeline, as well as areas of representation to ensure that we um, take this great company culture that we have at Vanguard and continue to build on it and, and, and create and build upon the inclusive environment that we already have. So DEI is not an important, not only an important part of you know, what I do outside of work, um, but it is a really big important part of what I do at my job too. That's so great. That's so great. I mean, we, the, the, the way you're speaking about women who code, similar to the premise for Beyond Barriers, we're focused on, but it's navigational upskilling, right? Because the gap is almost never ambition or ability, right? We have the technical ability. We were ready to go. Just how do I navigate to next is often the gap. And so that's that's really where we, and then supported by, bolstered by technological tooling and, a, and an amazing community that surrounds you. So yeah. super relevant. And it's just great to see, it's great to see senior leaders really engaged in in these efforts because it, it I've, I've had a series of incredible mentors and personal board of directors and all of that. And it's really true that like we can be what we can see and conversely, we can't be, right? Or sure. <laughs> we can't see. So like modeling, and I think what you were saying earlier too about modeling that vulnerability and modeling the like, I don't actually know, can you help me. That can be so powerful as a, as a leader. You have two daughters. You have daughters who are going to be in the workforce soonish, right? What's well, your... <laughs> yeah. So, like, <laughs> I, I have toddlers, and I feel the same way. What What's your wish? Like, what's your wish for them? Like, in terms of like, how, how do you want work to be for them? What would you, What would you yeah. like to see either change or for them to be able to take part in? Yeah, I think personally, I want from them the same thing that was modeled for me, this notion of like limitless ambition, right? If they want something, if they want to pursue something, it's really all about their commitment and hard work and willingness to like really dig into it. So I've tried to model as much of the great encouragement I got from my own mother for my girls so that they feel like there, there's no, there are no barriers, self-imposed or externally imposed that should impede them from pursuing what makes them what fuels their passion, right? So I think for them, 
if that's what that's what I want for them personally. I think from a workforce perspective, I I want them to be in a, a work environment that is similar to what I'm trying to create and have an opportunity to be a part of myself, which is a place where they can bring their entire selves to work, right? They have opinions and ideas and perspectives that they gleefully and willingly share with me at home about rules and regulations around the house. I want them to feel like they can enter into the workforce and share their ideas and perspectives and be their whole selves. I think it's it's amazing to see how so many uh, work environments have really shifted over the course of my career to where I can think back early where people would not bring their whole selves to work. There were things that they were a persona of what they believed should be should show up at work, but you never really could understand them as a human. Like you didn't really get the opportunity to see their humanity on display. And gosh, like how that has changed over the time that I've been in the workforce. Now we we are much more encouraged to bring our whole selves to work, to have perspectives, to bring our diversity and put it out on display. And, and I want that for them, right? I want them to be in a workforce that values that and encourages it and fosters it. And I think I want them to be in a workforce where people willfully teach, right? That there's a supportive environment where they can continue to be coached and mentored like they are by their teachers and their sports coaches, but in a work environment. So I think I want for them all the things I'm trying to be a part of and create and um, nurture within my own working environments, because I think that that's when you get the best out of your employees is when they can be their brilliant best selves at work. So uh, along with asking for help, something that can be really challenging for a lot of folks in our community is telling their story, right? And promoting themselves, being conscious of their brand for a myriad of like, you know, cultural and structural reasons. I'd love to hear about how, like, I, I, first I'd love to hear like, what, how do you define your brand, right? And how did you get comfortable telling that story or maybe yeah. just actually to you? I, it did not come naturally to me. I feel like I probably fell into a little bit of the same trappings that many of the people I coach and mentor do, which is, this isn't a word generalization, but a lot of people don't love tooting their own horn, right? They don't like talking about, they're very competent at telling you all the things they need to work on. But when it comes to saying like, what did you achieve this year? You know, talk to me about like what you're really great at. They shy away from the self-promotion because they don't want it to seem like self-promotion, right? And and so actually, I started this with a number of the women that I worked with about probably about 10 or 12 years ago, where I noticed people would do their performance, their annual performance reviews. And I they would send them to me and I would read them and be like, but this is not, this is not this, you did not do this. Like you did all these amazing other things that you did not reflect. And they would say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to put that in there because it sounds too like flaunty or like where I'm bragging. And I'm like, no, no you're, you're owning your own brand. Like you're telling the story about what you're competent about. And so I started on this offering this service, if you will, to the, the women around me, I'd say like a few weeks before end of year appraisals were due, like send me your self appraisal and I'm going to red pen it because I know the work that you did and I'm going to rewrite it as like your brand, your brand coach. Like I'm going to tell you the words to use because and it's there. It was never a lie or a fabrication about what they did. It was just choosing words to amplify the great work that they themselves actually should have been owning. And, and so I, I do think there's, that's a thing, right? Like people are just sometimes very shy about um, over promotion. And so I think there's a, a tip in this that like, if you have someone that's close enough to you that has, that has worked alongside you and knows what you have done, 
let them, if you're willing to do it, let them read your appraisal of yourself and give you commentary on how to reword it. Because I do think sometimes we're our own worst enemies when it comes to talking about our stories and what we have achieved and our accomplishments. And we shouldn't downplay those things. We should be proud of them. So it didn't come easily for me. I had to, I also got assistance in that way. Someone looked at, actually it was my resume at one point, looked at my resume and was like, just talk to me in words about what you did. Like, forget about what the bullets are on the resume. Just tell me what you did. And she like rewrote it. I was like, also not a lie. I did these things, but she's like, these are the words that you use that actually help you tell your story. And I got that coaching really early on in my professional career. And so I've always tried to keep like to, to be um, willing, like I was telling my own mother what I did, like be proud of me. Like, this is what I did. It's That's like cool. the career professional giving version of giving them something to put on the refrigerator. Like <laughs> if I was going to call my mom and explain it to her this way, why would I not write it that way about myself? Right. So it's a little bit of that sort of notion of checking my own filters to see am I over filtering? Because mm-hmm. if I was going to explain it to someone who cared deeply about me and, and they would be excited about it, why would I not just write it that way to begin with? I love that. I'm I'm going to take that with me because it's it's such a great way to think about it, right? In a way that's familiar to everybody. Yeah. So that, that's awesome. And there's actually, there's a Harvard Business Review study where they looked at equally, like objectively equal performance. And in terms of the self-evaluation, men rank themselves. So these are people who performed exactly the same. 60 out of 100 and women, it's like 46. It's yeah. like, you can always add like 30% onto whatever you think you're, yeah. you know, doing and recognize that that some of your similarly situated peers are doing that anyway. Right. And so if you want to just position yourself as equal to who you're actually equal to, right. Well, Uh, and actually it was when I started doing the DEI work in the 2013 and 2014 time, a lot of the studies, there were a lot of studies that came out around that time about like, what are either the perceived or real systemic barriers to women in technology, successful technology careers. And my reaction, the reason why I started like offering to do this self-appraisal review with, with my, some of my female peers was because of this, this, some of the research that had come out that had said like women oftentimes under self-promote themselves. They are also typically too harsh on their qualifications. When they're looking at a new opportunity, they could have nine out of 10 and be like, I'm not qualified for this job. I won't even apply. And, and so I started some of the things I was doing with my own you know, peer network and the people I was coaching and, and sponsoring as a reaction to some of the research that came out. So I'm like, look, I've got to be the, I've got to be a part of the changing of this because it's, we're, we're not helping ourselves at large. If we're, if we're not raising our hand for promotions and not talking about our accomplishments in a meaningful way. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results in advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's, core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. How about overcoming those fears and limiting beliefs that we all have? Like, what are, what are you, what's, what's in your toolkit for that? Yeah. So a couple of things I would say, again, this is a practice I still go through. Like, even though I have some tricks that I've taught myself over the course of time, even when I go to take on any, anything new, even at this stage in my career, I still have to practice some of these tricks, these um, tips for myself. So I get, I can be very 
dispassionate when I'm evaluating something, meaning like if there's a new opportunity that's coming towards me, I try to always lay out pros and cons. Like, what is the pro of this thing? What are the cons of it? What skills do I bring to the table readily? What things do I need to be successful in this role that are a gap for me? And so I can be very, when I say dispassionate, I mean like very scientific almost about evaluating something because sometimes like I can get wound up in the emotion of evaluating something and it clouds my, it can cloud my judgment on it. So this is my way of being like very fact-based, like just lay out the, the, the data to the extent that you have it. So you can be as unemotional about evaluating the situation as you can be. And so that is something I've just, that's probably one of my biggest tools is just being able to evaluate things from all different angles and laying it out for myself. So I can try to just assess the, the situation as with as little emotion as possible. I think the other piece of it for me is I've had to train myself to, if I'm super nervous about something after I do that exercise and I look at it and I'm like, I'm very nervous about this thing still. Then I really have to ask myself, is it because like, are you missing something that's going to impede you from being successful at it? Or are you just nervous because it feels risky? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is, I feel nervous because it seems like a big, it feels risky to me. Like, I don't, I don't know a hundred percent of like how I'm evaluating this thing. Usually I'll force myself to do it anyway, because my response to myself is what would you be missing out on if you didn't do it? So my, and to make this very real, I tell, sometimes I tell people I'm very afraid of flying. And, and that's a shocker to people because they're like, you fly every week. And I'm like, yes, but what would I not be able to do if I didn't get on that plane? Like, is the fear of flying enough to keep me from going on vacations with my family or going to visit relatives or being able to see my coworkers in another location? Like the fear of something I have to just tell myself, like sometimes just because you're worried or nervous about this thing shouldn't stop you from taking the risk because on the other side of it could be something really meaningful, like great professional growth or great personal growth. And so those are some of the ways I try to evaluate a situation with as much data as possible. And then how I also talk to myself when I'm feeling particularly nervous about something and pushing my own self to take on things where I don't hundred percent know, like if I'm what's in store for me. That's so great. Thank you. Do you have any, do you have any daily habits or rituals? I'm a list maker. Hmm. So every day I start the day by making a list of what I want to get done for the day and being very intentional about where I spend my time. So that list, that ritual for me is how I start every one of my day of laying, laying out, like, what are the, what are the big strategic thinking things I need to do? What are the very tactical transactional things I need to do? Cause it just helps me stay. I feel like I'm a little bit more in control of my, the, the time that I spend at work and the day-to-day there. I'd say another practice of mine is that I can, and I learned this from a women's leadership class uh, a long time ago listening to my, like listening to my inner monologue. I don't, I think everyone has an inner voice that talks to them about things that can cause you to overthink things or cause you to overprepare for things or cause you to maybe worry about things. And so then that women's leadership class, we had to go through an exercise of really understanding what is, what is the usefulness of your inner monologue? Like, what does it help you be prepared for or help you to be anticipating? But when does it, when does it trip over into being something that like is actually a derailer? And so I try to be very thoughtful about listening to that during the day. And, and um, it's, I, I guess it would be a little bit like a mindfulness moment, but being like, please 
just had to pause, like, please stop talking. Just like, let, let me focus on this thing or like just quieting that chatter so that I can not expend wasteful amounts of energy on things that are like not really worth spending a lot of energy and emotion on. So I'd say the list making helps me feel like I'm in control of the day and then checking in with myself to see if that inner voice is chatting too much with me. Yeah. It's so interesting. We, we work with so many people who, when we start that, like those little things feel like, well, how could I ever do that? Right. Like I'm always on, I'm always doing whatever. Yeah. I talked to one, one alumna who has been, has been a part of our community for a long time. And she shared like the biggest difference is like before I felt like a squirrel and I love this image. She's like, I was just like scurrying around, like collecting other people's stuff, like not gathering piles and just like moving pieces around, not actually accomplishing anything of impact. And now I take 10 minutes at the beginning of every day and I'm intentional about what I'm going to do. And she's like, it's like such a teeny tiny thing that I knew I needed to do, but it took building the muscle memory, right. And giving herself permission to take the time to work on herself to, to get there. And it's, I mean, sometimes all of these little things add up and and the, the analogy that we sometimes use is this is like career fitness, right? Like we all know we should eat better. We all know we should move more like the fundamental principles of like living a healthy lifestyle. I think most of us understand yeah. it's just. How do you like, how do you jolt yourself into action, right? When somebody takes an experience, a community, et cetera. So that's, that's, that's it's really interesting. Doing. I was talking to someone not too long ago about how all these things you're used to doing when you're either like in school or when you play on a sports team, like it's the warm ups, right? It's the repetition of doing things over and over again. It's the, it's the willingness to listen to feedback and take coaching that for some reason we enter the workforce, we're like, we don't need that anymore. Like, right. Or we're, we're like, we can't invest that time in ourselves anymore. It's like, you know, what, what happened when you knew when you were on that youth baseball team or basketball team that you had to practice every day and you had to do warm ups, you're going to hurt yourself. Or like, there were things you had to do repetitively to keep your skills up that for some reason, when we enter the workforce, we're like, I guess we don't need that anymore. No, you absolutely do. It is a practice every day of um, doing these things. Just like you said, health and fitness. It's your professional yeah. health and fitness. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to hard to put. We we actually have a lot of people refer to our time with them as self care, which is yeah. on the one hand, it's a comment on how like everybody should go play some too, right? <laughs> because yeah. it's like special development. But it's a, it's just a signal of like how we don't take this time. So anyway, um, okay. Well, speaking of uh, self care, how do you stay grounded? How do you take care of yourself? How do you how do you create balance? I. So a lot of it has to do with my family. I, I, I really try to be very diligent about having great work-life balance. It's, it's not always balanced. I know people ask leaders all the time, how do they do work-life balance? And I say, it's like a little bit of art and a little bit of science. I try to make sure that I keep what is important to me in my life front and center. So I love my career and I, I love being, being successfully part of the, the companies that I work for. But I also know that I have this group of humans at home that I also care very much about. And so I stay grounded by ensuring that I have the right amount of time to do things outside of work that bring me joy. So a lot of that, you'll find me in basketball gyms, watching youth basketball or going to concerts like I did with my oldest last night. So we do a lot of family things. And then for me, I'm an avid reader. So I use um, a lot of my um, personal time for reading. Sometimes I try to combine reading and fitness at the same time. So I'll be with my Kindle on the treadmill because there's just only so many hours in the day. But those are like the things that I do to just make sure that if I get that great refresh time with 
the, the family and my personal stuff, then I am an even better person when I'm at work. I'm a better leader. I'm a, I'm a better employee. And so I find that that actually helps me be even better when I'm trying to um, take care of the, the work that I do, because I care very deeply about that as well. So I, those are the, some of the things I do to help myself stay grounded. That's great. I, I heard a podcast the other day where this woman said, I will only give to you from my saucer, meaning like her teacup had to be completely overflowing, which sounds like a very privileged perspective and something to aspire to. You know, <laughs> There's also, there's a lady in my neighborhood who walks with, with books, like actual books. She walks up and down the road, like every single day holding That's a book. Impressive. It is impressive. I, I could do it. I would. I, I only do it on the treadmill because I have a sense for like, Right. that yeah. I'm occupying. And also it's in a room where no one else is there. So if I trip and fall off the back of it, like no one's the wiser, <laughs> but I feel like I'm in a little bit of a controlled situation with the Kindle, like on the little bookshelf. And then like, I, I'm not sure I'm graceful enough to walk yeah. around outside with a book in my hand. I'm definitely <laughs> not, but I always, I always give her much respect when I see her. Anything you want to share about Vanguard and the work that you're doing now? Uh, yeah. with I mean, I, one of the things I think is really important in your career is that you find a place where you can do the thing you're passionate about in an environment that supports your passion. And I have absolutely found that at Vanguard. I think the environment that we have here, the corporate culture, just starting with that is, and has always been since the time I interviewed, very aligned to my core values. It, we're all about making an impact in people's lives. And I think that was really important to me, but the environment that we do it in is filled with people who are almost like, they're so collaborative and collegial and familial that you can't help but not be your whole self when you come here. And I think that's a testament to how this company, I've only been here for 18 months. It's a testament to how this company has grown up, right? And, and I think it makes working on the diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff even more meaningful because we have a culture that just so naturally supports that level of inclusion and that valuing of difference and perspective. So I have really been able to take early in my interview process that I, I can do great technology work anywhere, right? Every company that you work for has a technology organization. But not all of them that you get to work in have the kind of environment that we get to do this technology work within, this mission-driven and, and this feeling of this very noble purpose. So I think joining here has been a great way for me to align what is important to me from a career perspective, but do it in a place where I feel like I am not only valued and respected, but encouraged to be my whole self. And so I, I think that's just um, one of my very favorite things about Vanguard. It's, it's like a well-kept secret around here, but I think it's one of our most uh, impressive values. It's just the level of inclusivity and willingness to, to um, encourage perspective and diversity. That's amazing. I'm yeah, so happy it's awesome. <laughs> um, I, come, I come home and a little bit pinch myself like once a week at like, and my husband even says that he's like, this is you seem so fulfilled. Like everyone, everything seems to be so aligned for you right now. And so when your significant others can, can see yeah. the fulfillment of like, you're, you are doing something that challenges you. And that's important to me. Like I'm challenged meant like my mind is challenged, but do it in a place that I feel like really good about how I'm cared for and how I get to care for others. That's like winning. I mean, that's an amazing set of combination, a combination of things. Awesome. It makes me feel great as an investor too. So, yeah. okay, cool. If you're, if you're okay with it, we'll do the lightning round questions. Yes. Okay. So the first one is what book has greatly influenced you? All right. So I have like a 
kind of a two-part answer because there's you would not think they were similar, but when I tell you why I like them, you'll understand. So the the first one is Brave Not Perfect by Reshma Sajani. She is the founder of Girls Who Code. That's why I said I like love Girls Who Code just as much as Women Who Code. The other one that I came to have an affinity for because of my basketball player in the house is Mamba Mentality by Kobe mm-hmm. Bryant. And you might think like, what do those two things have anything to do with each other? But there's a spirit of like this notion of not not letting failure get you down or not perceiving setbacks as failure. And this a willingness to be brave, not perfect, like the name of the book is, but to, to constantly try to constantly push yourself when there is a setback to not see it as failure and retreat from it, but to be willing to go back out there and try it again. And this notion of like experimentation leads to skill development, leads to confidence building, right? And so you're never going to be hundred percent done but if you don't go back out there and keep trying and you don't like allow yourself the freedom to stumble, but learn from it, then you're not going to ever like achieve greatness. And so I think both of those books come at it from different perspectives, but the, the theme is similar and be willing to don't be so afraid of failure, experiment and push yourself and don't perceive setbacks as failures. They're just learnings. Great. Those are great. Thank you. What's your favorite inspiring quote or saying? All right, this one's a Nelson Mandela one. So it's do not judge me by my success. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. So you can probably hear from me a little bit of like the things that resonate for me or the things that are this notion of resilience and this ability to like, you're going to stumble, right? So you can look at all the successes in isolation, but, but the perseverance, the resilience, the, the willingness to get back up, dust. My mom used to always say like, if you fall down, get up, dust yourself off and like, keep going. And it's so like thematically, like the books that resonate with me or like the quotes that resonate with me are usually ones where it's like, all right, like you're going to, there's going to be some things you don't do perfectly. That's okay. Like just keep going and learn from those things. So usually those are the ones that land the best with me. How about a moniker or a phrase that you used to describe yourself? So I've been, I've been called a couple change agent because I love change. And, and my better half calls me like the continuous improver. Like he's like, every day you wake up and you think about the thing you did the day before. And you're like, how am I going to do that better today? It is true. Like, so that's why the change agent or continuous improvement are usually monikers that I would use about myself, but others use with me as well. And it's not a, I'm not satisfied with how I did it before. It's more like, I think it can be done better. Like, let's be willing to admit that I probably didn't do it perfectly the first time. How can I actually improve upon it today? So I'd say both of those two. And then what's one change where there's a habit behavior action that you implemented that made your life better? I'd say it's the inner monologue questioning. Mm -hmm. I'd say when, when I shared with you before, that's one of my daily practices. I think I had a habit of letting that that inner voice run wild, right? In fact, like sometimes it would run so wild that it would impede me from trying things or like make me feel like I wasn't prepared enough. And it actually caused me to be, it bled over into that, into being too, too noisy for me, for my own good. And I think that leadership class where we had to actually draw a picture, we had to draw a picture of the person talking and name it and learn the practice of saying, thank you. Like, I appreciate what you're what you're trying to do in, ter- in terms of preparing me for this or making me ready for this, but it's too much now. Like, I just need you to pause. That is a thing that I've instituted that to this day, I still have to practice, but it helps me keep things in perspective and 
not let that voice derail me into negative thinking or things that just aren't actually going to help me as part of my day to day. Okay, so what's your, what's your power song for your walk up? <laughs> I recently had to pick one for an event and I, I use levels by Avicii because I feel like it's very high, like very high energy, lots of like exciting drum beats and that. And I just feel like it always makes me feel good when I hear it. It makes me feel happy and, and confident. And so I use that song in a prior event. And I was like, this might be happy my walk on music for everything that I do, because it just makes me feel like I could conquer the world when I step on stage to talk about anything. So that would be my one. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This has been yeah. such a treat to have this thank conversation you. with you. I really appreciate your time and sharing all your, all your wonderful lessons with us. This is wonderful. Thank you for having me and, and letting me share some of my journey with you. It's been awesome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend, or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at gobeyondbarriers.com, where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. 